If you're not unlocking the full value of your SaaS, what are you doing? There is no denying it. SaaS is mission critical to your company's growth and success. And as the number two operating expense for most organizations, it's your biggest opportunity to save money and drive efficiency. The time is now to do something about it. Please take this as your personal invitation to join me and your fellow IT, SAM, finance, and procurement leaders at SASME on May 16th, 2023. SASME is the industry's only dedicated SaaS management event where you can sharpen your skills, hear from your peers, and learn how to unlock value and responsible business growth through smarter SaaS management. It's virtual, it's free, and it's going to knock your socks off. Register today at sasme.com. That's S-A-A-S me.com. It's time to get your sassing gear. Are you with me? If we could get the story out to more people about how transformative software asset management, particularly in the SaaS space where people mm-hmm. are just out swiping credit cards and agreeing to click through terms, that more people would say, oh, we really need to invest in this for our business because we can leverage that money and then unlock value and put it into things that are transformative for the business rather than just spend. Hello, hello, and welcome to SaaS Me Unfiltered, the SaaS management podcast. The show with give it to you straight, real life advice from pros knee deep in SaaS every single day. SaaS management superheroes just like you. We're back for another episode of SaaS Me Unfiltered. So excited to have you join us. I'm Corey Wheeler, co-founder and chief customer officer here at Zylo. And I'm Ashley Hickman, manager of customer success at Zylo. Okay, we have a heck of a guest with us today. This professional has a lot of experience in IT. Over 20 years of experience in IT, 7 of those at Salesforce. A uh, familiar company, one that I, I used to work at myself. This person has had accelerated roles through the University of Phoenix, United Health Group, Stratosphere Quality, with a real focus on asset management and desktop support. And now is at Salesforce managing all of desktop support and software asset management, 20 employees globally managing the provisioning and lifecycle asset management with a budget of over $100 million in software assets. So please welcome to the show, Jason Owens from Salesforce. Jason, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Corey. Thanks, Ashley. Really excited to be here, kind of share the story around the importance of SaaS management in the SAM space and kind of share some of the uh, things that have worked for us, for our program and team at Salesforce. Awesome. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, let's get into it, Jason. Let's get started. So first of all, really excited. I know we, we had the opportunity to chat little bit before and excited to have you on today. You have an amazing, just a wealth of experience in your background that's led you to ultimately the great leadership role that you have at Salesforce today. Um, Would love to hear how that has evolved for you at Salesforce. That's a great question. You know, I kind of feel like a lot of asset management practitioners and software asset management practitioners in particular don't ever really start out to be software asset managers. I know I didn't 
ever think that, hey, that's a viable career opportunity. I'm going to go do that, let alone have a a leadership role in the same space. I kind of came to it through being open to new opportunities and seeing the real need for software asset management, particularly in the SaaS space. At several of my career stops through throughout my journey, you know, when I was at Stratosphere Quality, it was the first time I really was exposed to SaaS management as a concept. You know, it was the first time I ever dealt with a Microsoft audit and just how we work to pivot from on-prem Microsoft licensing to Office 365 and the uh, deprecation and replacement of an on-prem Outlook and Exchange platform with cloud and kind of thought there's a lot of really difficult things here. There's a lot of nuance and it's also kind of fun. I think that's one of the things that I don't think a lot of people know about software asset management. Every day is different. There's no widget stamping. It's not, I'm going to go to work. I'm going to do the same four things and go home. It's a new complex puzzle, sometimes more than once a day, but almost every day there's really cool problems and challenges and opportunities you get to figure out when you have a team around you. Like I'm so fortunate to have with uh, our SAM program here at Salesforce. Everybody just rolls up their sleeves and says, Hey, this is pretty cool. Let's figure out how to fix it. And I don't know. It's, uh, it's something that I would highly recommend for IT professionals that are new in, in their careers. There are not enough software asset managers or SAM practitioners to fill the need uh, these right. days. And, and I don't expect that to change in the near future. It's only going to continue to get more critical that we have high-performing SAM practitioners across all functions of the industry, not just within software development companies like Xylo and Salesforce. Really... Every company that has a SaaS footprint has need for uh, high-functioning SAM practitioners in their business. That's great. And I want to pull on that thread a little bit. You know, you were first introduced to the need for software asset management strategies around SaaS at Stratosphere Quality. Software asset management as a practice was born out of on-prem investments and audits and things like that. Now you're at Salesforce, right? Salesforce is absolutely progressive, cloud first, and primarily cloud within your business. So coming into Salesforce, what was your SaaS perspective? And then you know, were there specific things internally that were specific to SaaS that generated the fun, you know, the oh shit moment that we need to get a program and better visibility around all of this? Did that happen? And maybe talk through that evolution internally at Salesforce. That did happen. Um, and, you know, about three and a half, four years ago, I was leading a, a desktop support team at Salesforce. Uh, our internal support team is called TechForce. You're well aware they're one of the, I may be a little biased, but I think they're one of the highest performing uh, desktop support organizations in the world. And uh, had an opportunity. Uh, one of my former bosses had moved over to the role I'm in now leading all of IT asset management. And saw that we had a need to invest in the SAM space and said, hey, I'm going to post this role. I'd like you to apply for it and uh, go through the interview process. And if you're the right person, I think you could make an impact here. So I interviewed, took the role, uh, senior manager of software asset management. And when I joined, we didn't really have a program. It was um, some really awesome SAM professionals, uh, Joe Ryder and Dylan Holleran and Chris Fines. But that was it. It was the three of them. There was no program. And they were really focused at that point on a limited scope of kind of our on-prem end-user desktop software, right? Like 
small percentage of the portfolio uh, focused on making sure that those licenses were used and useful and that our investment was performant. But Will had a little bit bigger vision, right? He said, I think we can pivot this out across the rest of the software portfolio within business technology. And so we came in and, and really like built out a roadmap. We we're fortunate to have a, um, a third party come in and do an assessment and help. Uh, leadership always loves when you have an external party that oh, yes. can give you the same assessment of the things that you've been <laughs> telling upward, right? As a uh, kind of as a check on, mm-hmm. okay, these people really do know what they're talking about. So we were fortunate enough to have some investment in, in a third party recommendations and built out the roadmap. And now today, it's crazy to think that this uh, December is four years for me in the role of software asset management here at Salesforce. My seven years at Salesforce as a company is in October. So been now more than half of my career at Salesforce leading this program. We're like, I don't like to take credit at all for it because the work is done by the global team. And today we've gone from, you know, I joined, I was the fourth member of the team. We now have 20 plus uh, software asset management professionals, practitioners all around the world. We have a really well-rounded, fully functional team. You know, we've done quite a lot of growth, probably three or four different evolutions in how we delivered software asset management in that time. We started out, all right, let's align with sourcing. Let's go with mm-hmm. their categories. Let's just go. Everybody's assigned to a category that matches up with a sourcing partner. That did not work. So <laughs> we've gone through a couple iterations and now we have our team broken out by the lifecycle categories of the software lifecycle. It has unlocked so much potential and value for us that we have single points of ownership for each part of the software lifecycle. Martin Brophy, who's a fantastic manager, he's in Dublin. He leads onboarding and M&A because those are kind of hand-in-hand functions. Uh, Pratik Sharman, Hyderabad, that is maintenance, distribution, and provisioning. So the middle part of the lifecycle. And then Carmen Worth in, in, on the Pacific coast in Seattle, she manages uh, our renewals function, which as you can imagine is it's a beast yes. in our portfolio, does a great job. And so by splitting up the ownership rather than, uh, per title or per category, say, okay, this is a renewal. We're going to Carmen and her team. This is new software onboarding. Okay. And we're able to publish internal documentation that says, Hey, if you need this help, this thing, here's who you go and talk to. And so it's really helped us get away from escalation culture mm-hmm. and just the, I don't know who to talk to or who moved my cheese phenomenon that it's like, all right, this is a renewal. I'm going to go talk to Carmen or someone on her team, right? Um, if it's maintenance and distribution, critique, et cetera. And so it's really unlocked value for us. One that we don't have a check cycle, right? It's like, hey, mm-hmm. this is this is your area. You own it. Go deliver it. If you have questions, I'll help. But I'm not here to second guess everything you do. Mm-hmm. And if we're not making some mistakes, we're not providing enough value to the business. So sure. it, it's been really great. That's an incredibly strategic way to think about building out your organization. And I love the specialization. I love aligning it to a life cycle. That's fantastic. Are you blown away by the amazing work our SaaSme Unfiltered guests are doing? Now you can join them at SaaSme, the industry's only SaaS management event. Hear from the experts, discover trends, and learn from the pros knee-deep in this shit every single day. Register today at SaaSme.com. That's S-A-A-S-M-E.com. 
what was that that secondary uh, thought there? You know, what was the impetus to all of this growth and specifically around SaaS? You know, thinking about those moments that kind of generated the need for growth or the you know the unexpected outcomes that you had to scramble around. You know, what was kind of the start of all of that? So the one kind of like really big oh crap moment for us happened in in my first year when we got to a renewal event for a audio and visual editing platform, right? And you know, we didn't have really good controls. We didn't have discovery, both either on-prem or in the SaaS space at all. Uh, we were very reactive to audits and renewals and really any kind of vendor outreach. We weren't doing great vendor management. We're just kind of handing out licenses to a lot of different platforms, kind of like, you know, you show up at a baseball game and they're handing out, you know, the whatever, like the little mini helmet of the night. Yeah. It's like, yeah, first 5,000 people get it, right? Like <laughs> yeah. you get in the door, you get it. So we get to a renewal event and it turns out that this audio, visual and editing software platform had been picked up by in our sales org. And after we did some digging, we found out like all several hundred folks who had gone through the manager approval process, gotten the approvals, were using it to edit cat pictures and cat videos of what is really expensive business software, right? Right. And and so we had a significant overage. And, you know, Joe and I had to go talk to the VP levels and the CIO at the time for the PR approval and say, hey, look, here's the governments. And this is like in my first three months in the role when we get to this room. And so I'm thinking, oh, geez, I'm like, we're having a mid six figures overage plus a million plus and forward looking true up and we're in trouble. Like I'm in trouble. It's one of those things where you're like, oh, geez, am I going to have a job? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Like it's just like lizard brain goes like, oh, crap, I'm not going to have a job. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And we were able to actually steer the conversation and say, hey, look, this is where if we have a discovery platform, if we implement governance, we can, uh, one, avoid these things, but also Mm -hmm. unlock that money that we would have to spend on that for investment in transformative business process and platforms. And so we've done that, you know. I mean, it's a testament to everybody on the team that we've been able to unlock so much value. And we, as a program, we pay for ourselves. And it's one of the metrics I track is making sure that not just that we're cost neutral from a, Mm -hmm. you know, a fully loaded salary perspective, but that we're actually returning significant value. And over the last four years, it's basically run six and a half to seven times the cost of our discovery tools plus our FTE dollars that we return in value through cost avoidance and cost savings versus budget to the business, which is fantastic. It's one of those things like, I think if we could get the story out to more people about how transformative software asset management, particularly in the SaaS space where people Mm -hmm. are just out swiping credit cards and agreeing to click through terms, that more people would say, oh, we really need to invest in this for our business because we can leverage that money and then unlock value and put it into things that are transformative for the business rather than just spend. Yeah, that's great. I love that. Those must have been some really good cat videos, though, I got to yeah. say. Yes, I hopeful. I wish we had saved <laughs> some because they did send us some at some point and we're just like... <laughs> Yeah, like this is the value we're getting from this software. We right. need these cat videos. Yeah. I hope they close some deals with those cat yeah. videos. To go viral, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Really love how you have kind of gotten to a point around aligning 
SAM resources and leadership to the life cycle of applications. That's that's awesome. I love that. And also like to your point, just removes friction within the business of who to go for, for what at each stage and function at the, like at the application level, in terms of true ownership of these, these titles, these softwares, all the different SaaS applications, what does that look like? How is that set up at, uh, at Salesforce? So I'm going to like take a step back and do a little explanation mm-hmm. before I talk about how we have it set up, because it's not an area that we are like, I like to talk about a four level maturity roadmap within software asset management. It's not mm-hmm. something that we're at the fourth or even the third level of maturity on. Uh, and it's one of the great ways that we see as we continue to go forward, how we're going to unlock value. I kind of tend to think there's three main places in business organizations where software asset management teams sit, right? They either sit in the security org uh, and their focus is uh, completely on governance, compliance, and mm-hmm. security. They sit in the finance org and it's all about the purse strings. You know, are mm-hmm. we going to spend this money or not? And I feel very fortunate that we don't sit in either of those places. We sit within our internal IT org, which we call business technology. And it means that we get to focus on all three of those. Obviously, it's Salesforce trust is in everything that we do. So we're very mindful. We work very closely with our sourcing partners to make sure that we have appropriate terms in place that we're secured, performant, that we work with enterprise security to make sure that we have full security reviews of any application that's coming in or we, before we even allow it to be onboarded as a vendor. But because we sit in business technology, we get to focus on kind of the third leg of that stool. And that's the enablement piece. It's like, how do we unlock value from our software for our people to go do their jobs, right? Because at the end of the day, that's what this stuff all is. They're tools in the tool bag that individuals can use to deliver their value to the organization. And so kind of like contextually getting back to the the question, like looking at, all right, we're sitting there in the space. One thing that we did early on was we said, okay, rather than having budget aligned to each service manager or product owner or product manager from every application that's in the BT portfolio, we centralized all that budget directly into our cost center. So we meet weekly with our finance business partner and we run down, you know, what are our upcoming renewals? Where are our risk? Where do we see potential variants? Where could we have positive variants? Where can we have savings? And this next piece is the piece that we don't do well yet that we're mm-hmm. working on. Uh, it's kind of the focus for the next year is then how do we take our life cycle arrangement and mm-hmm. interface directly with the service manager, with the product owner, with the systems administrators that are running the platform within business technology to get their discrete roadmaps for each platform and technology so that we can then use that to inform mm-hmm. how we are forecasting the spend both this fiscal and in the out fiscals, right? And so we're not doing it well yet, but we're working on it. And that's our, like, really, I feel like that's our next big chunk of mm-hmm. maturity and governance is, all right, how do we unlock that? And how do we figure out, and we're experimenting with some different things. We've got a, a quarterly kind of QBR that's focused on line of business applications that are in our budget and we ask people to come that really hasn't worked that well. So mm-hmm. we've also got a Slack channel set up Slack first work from anywhere. Yay team. Right. Yeah. And uh, yeah. so we've actually found there to be some really good value there because as we hit 120 day and 90 day milestones before true ups or contract anniversaries or renewals, 
we spin up a thread in Slack and at mention the, the service manager or product owner and say, Hey, what's the product mix look like? What's your roadmap look like? Are you expecting mm-hmm. to add any licensing, any modules? Do you see any new business units that are going to want to adopt this product? Right. And so that has started to really help us hone in on variants. You probably experienced this yourself. The last two years have been a roller coaster ride of variants as we tried to, you know, spin up these applications that are basically used in the office and look mm-hmm. at digital collaboration. And like, I expect there to be some really strong rationalization pushes around the industry and in almost all categories as we go mm-hmm. forward from here, particularly with the state of how business is uh, mm-hmm. in the world today, where there's so many unknowns. And at the same time, like teams that have really strong SAM programs are primed to drive that business value and that monetary value back into the business by having those mm-hmm. conversations early rather than, oh, well, we missed the auto renewal. So we're on the hook for another six figures for this next year. Right. And so yeah. there's a lot of ways that we as a team can deliver that value and, and kind of really deliver on that rationalization and cost savings as we kind of go into the unknown here. I love that you brought that up in terms of it being such a roller coaster in the past two years. And it does feel <laughs> like we're on the precipice, like we're going up, we're going up, tick, 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 right? And it does feel with where the economic climate is projected to go that we're kind of on the precipice of another one of those roller coasters, mm-hmm. right? So, and I know you mentioned from a maturity perspective, that's where you're kind of in that next phase around a little bit more around rationalization, et cetera. So are there any, maybe that's something you're still teasing out today. Are there any kind of plans that you have in place given kind of where we're at right now, kind of like mid 2022? 100%. I think it should be top of mind for all software software asset managers. Like how are you working with your business to drive rationalization? One of the things that's kind of like my personal soapbox is particularly around UI UX tool sets. I think we have 17 or 18 discrete that I know of in the environment today. They all tend to be high cost. Everybody likes theirs for like the two to three percent. They all do the 85% really well, right? But every uh, UI UX designer likes their particular tool because of that edge case. And so I'm working internally with both our enterprise architecture teams as well as our product teams in BT to say, hey, what can we do? What categories does it make sense for us to drive and deliver what we're calling N plus one standardization and mm-hmm. saying, hey, the things that we're going to support as an enterprise of a company of 75,000 plus people, we can't deliver on the long tail of these applications because every additional application after the N plus one that you add just adds an order of magnitude of complexity to your environment because you have troubleshooting at the tech force at the help desk stage. You have patching, which is entirely top of mind from a, a vulnerability and threat mitigation perspective. You have, you know, basically like how do you secure these applications, particularly when some of them are SaaS and if you're having to manage seven to 10 SSO integrations, mm-hmm. you know, certificates, all of these things, like it, it, it snowballs really quickly. And so we're really focusing on, all right, where do we have categories that we can really start to lean in on an N plus one standardization, set that as like, Hey, this is what we're doing within business technology. 
and then move the needle on reducing complexity out of our application space just through good practice. And it's not going to be easy. Everybody will want like who moved my cheese is a real thing. And it's going to be tough and we're going to have to have some tough conversations. But when it comes down to things that we can do as a business technology organization, we have a limited budget. Mm -hmm. And if we can standardize end of the day, we're a cost center, right? And I'm not going out and no matter how much value we drive for our investment, we're still a cost center. And I don't say that in like a negative way. It's a reality that we have to work within the framework and deliver value from within those barriers and boundaries. And it gives us a really neat kind of uh, canvas to be creative on how we do that. And I think that that's one of the reasons it's so fun to be a software asset manager today is like, we can go out and say, Hey, let's work with product. Let's deliver an N plus one standardization. Let's reduce the complexity in our environment, make it easier for our tech force folks to help people because they're not having to search across 12 different knowledge bases to find information to help a customer. Right. And so a lot of those are kind of soft cost and soft savings, but they drive discrete business value at the end of the day. Yeah, it sounds like you have a mature process around those biz tech apps. So seriously, amazing work that you and your team have done. Jason, I'm really excited to see how your program continues to evolve. Thank you so much for joining us, Jason. We're having such a great conversation. Want to keep that going. So we're going to break this up in two-parter, two-part episodes. So um, for everyone listening, be sure to join us next time where we'll be diving into M&A and a few more topics here with Jason Owens at Salesforce. Did you enjoy the episode? Pass it along to your friends. Subscribe to get notifications for the latest episode. Share your favorite takeaways and join the conversation on social media using hashtag SASMeUnfiltered. Unfiltered.